She's April. And she's Molly. And we are the Book Besties. Okay, so people are walking around with three kidneys. Well, there's your answer, Florida. You can't fix it every time, Mom. How come I know that and you don't? You mean it's just not a bank? It is lazy writing. I mean, if you and I aren't having a, a margarita and talking about casting, it's not happening. I wish a life of sadness on her. That was such a smart and unexpected ending. Woo-wee, girl. What a week. Yeah? Well, it was my birthday. Yay! Happy birthday to Molly! But Matt's been working and sister's been working and my ADHD's been flaring. So you know what that means? Nothing's gotten done. Yeah, well that sounds about right. Nothing's gotten done. And then two days ago my back flared up. So everything's just gone to shit. So we're sitting here recording while I'm like stimming and like that's drugged me to high heavens. But it's real life, man. So like But I but I like Molly on drugs. She's fun. (laughs) (laughs) This week has been bananas for me too, because Wednesday, which was your birthday, was was my test. My final (sighs) two tests. It was five hours. No, I that shit. No, I, yeah, five hours. Miserable. Um, no, I do not have my scores yet. I will get them back in two weeks. So I guess. Well, how rude of them. I need to know now. Do they not understand one of your nearest and dearest is ADHD and she needs instant gratification? Do they not understand that, like, my contract depends on me, like, passing these exams? But no, um. Contract. I'm talking about me right now. <laughs> it's because a portion of it is writing and, like, somebody right, has to, like, hand for that. But I right. did get my results in my first exam and I passed by, like, leaps and bounds. Because so, I told you so. That's why. I actually did better than I did when I took the test as an undergrad when I was, like, learning those things. So, like, apparently I did learn more in my adult life, which doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But whatever. <laughs> so this week is my book my sister's keeper it's not focusing there we go Boom. oh we have two different versions that's cool um mine's a newer version um yeah. but it's just like i don't know Anyways. Well, I couldn't find my copy, so shout out to the woman who let me have this off of the Buy Nothing site in my area, because we're... Nice! Nice! <laughs> so, um, you actually brought us a special guest for this episode. Yay! Um, so, besties, uh, we are bringing in one of April's nearest and dearest, Katie Alexander, who is a nurse. Like, she's got, like, a resume... That's spectacular, and I can't say half these words because y'all know me. But because um, words are hard. But Katie is a nurse. Katie is a nurse practitioner, and she has been. We've been friends since middle school. I mean, I've known Katie wow. since she moved to Ohio when we were in eighth grade. Um, so totally different. I believe our very first conversation included her saying, "Hey, aren't you the girl that made fun of cheerleaders at the football game?" And I was like, "Probably." <laughs> oh, probably. I'm a cheerleader. I was the cheerleader. Oh, Molly. So, oh, Molly. Uh, <laughs> without further ado, besties, meet Katie Alexander. Katie! <laughs> oh, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. You're, You're going to bring an expertise into this that I don't think 
April, nor I have. <laughs> look, I, look, I can't even pronounce half of the medical words in here. Word. Like, even trying to use, like, etymology and, like, break it down with, like, English teacher style, I was like, what the hell am I reading? So, <laughs> when we were working this out and talking to Katie, I told her, I was like, I'm a professional sick person. Like, yeah. I am a professional patient, and I can't say this crap. So, we need you, girl. <laughs> Um, so why don't you uh just give us the highlights of your resume because it's like spectacular girl it is just impressive um i've been a nurse since 2002 um i was a critical care nurse for the vast majority of that so icu and er Um, yeah (laughs) became a nurse practitioner in 2014 um my first two years (laughs) i just kind of Floated around. Um, I did trauma, cardiology, um, and then internal medicine. And then I, about five years ago, um, started working at the James at Ohio State University, which is their cancer hospital in the surgical ICU there. Um, Damn, girl. Damn. (laughs) The Ohio State University. Um, And then about two years ago, I transitioned to what's called (laughs) to community (laughs) oncology, which is working um, out of a research facility. So not in a hospital. I work in a, um, 12 physician practice. There's 12 physicians, four nurse practitioners. I'm one of four. Um, but we see all types of cancers. So blood cancers, solid organ, organ cancers, and all hematology patients too. So damn Damn, girl. Do you feel, do you feel like, um, that like research has like been the most interesting in your nurse journey or, um, no. So my time at the James was not good. Um, <laughs> that was the, um, sickest patients I've ever cared wow. for in the highest intensity and burnout is real. So yeah, that I was, don't that doubt was, it. I mean, yeah, that was when I burn out. So that was a, that was a pretty tough pill to swallow is like actually yeah. acknowledging that you're burnout. And then really, you're trying to figure out something that doesn't have an answer. It's yeah. trying yep. to do math with algebra and yep. the alphabet. And it's just sometimes the yep. answer's not there. And that's, yep. I don't well, have the heart for that. So yeah. thank you. Because <laughs> not all of us can do that shit. <laughs> and I feel like, like I've had a nurse practitioner as my primary care. And that was my preference because I feel like nurse, nurses are approach things differently. Um, like number one, y'all have a much better bedside manner because you come from the people that are doing the, the dirty work. Like you are yeah. the people that are on the front lines. Um, and I, I feel like I enjoy that more. I mean, I like my doctor right now. She's pretty great and she's pretty knowledgeable, but in the past I have, my preference has always been to see a nurse practitioner. Um, and now that I'm not having babies anymore, my gynecologist for sure a nurse practitioner. Cause I'm like, I don't need no OB down there. I'm like, Yep. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. No more babies. No more babies. Word. No more babies. <laughs> Say it again to the people in the back. No more babies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So synopsis of yes. the book. We are again people. We are covering my sister's keeper. And let's just say this to get it over with. There's gonna be spoilers. This book came out a gazillion years ago. If you haven't yeah. read it, go read and come back. Well, I'm not going to do spoiler alerts all this whole damn the, book. The, this book was published in 2004, and a movie was made of it 
Um, and I just feel like I for this, even get me on the start on a freaking movie okay. book combo. <laughs> Are we going to start having a counter for your complaints? Please. Oh my God. <laughs> if, if there is an episode to have Molly complaints counter, boom, it is this episode. Holy Moses. I am. Frustrated. I, think a, I think across the board, all three of us are going to have a lot of those complaint counters because I know Katie's bothered by some of the medical stuff in there. But what I want to say is like, this one, we have to have spoilers because things We're- happen in this book at the end. Like, I'm sorry if you didn't read it. Do it. Jodi Picola's brilliant. I, she's I a love her author. work. We will be um, covering her again because I love her writing. Right, 100%. But we've got we've to be spoilery in this one. So, so go ahead and do the synopsis. Synopsis! And as always, Woo-hoo! Dylan, if I miss it. Um, so My Sister's Keeper is by Jodi Picoult, like April said. We follow Anna who is a tween teen girl. 13. Yeah, that's the one, see? And she goes to a lawyer to legally emancipate herself so that she no longer has to be spare parts for her big sister. She's actually just asking for medical Medical emancipation. emancipation. So not from, not from like moving out of her parents and being financially responsible. She just wants medical emancipation. Medical emancipation, which is when this was written was really rare. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's it. I mean, she doesn't want to be a donor anymore and can't blame the kid. Right. So, um, my first question. So, well, Can I just interject one thing? Of course. One more introduction for the synopsis. So the other really important thing about this is that Anna is a quote unquote designer baby. So in 2004, this was a new thing. Like this was new. I mean, Katie, am I right on that? Like people weren't really doing this in the early 2000s. Yeah, the technology was pretty young. um, My cousin was born in the 90s and she was a designer baby. She was born to, she was born in... I'm doing the math. Standby. 92, 94. Okay. So as, brother. so as controversial as that was in the early 2000s, I can imagine for your family, that was like really controversial. Oh, but, it was um, a thing. It's a, it was a really huge thing. But. In the early 2000s, we didn't have a lot of this whole designer baby. Right. And, and it wasn't, Anna was not, um, she was not created to like have a certain eye color or, you know, whatever desirable trait other than to be a perfect genetic match <laughs> So she could be a donor for her sister. Right. And that was only supposed to be to give the cord. To give, right. what, what is the cord? The cord, the, the cord blood. Cord, the cord blood. blood. Thank you. Words. Gosh. <laughs> See, you're, you're already helping out, girl. Look at you. Wow. <laughs> so we're going to start off. Um, first thing we learn off, we, we learn right off, is there are chapter each chapter is a different narrator. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're switching from narrators this whole book. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is important for the progress of the story? Do you want to go first, Katie, or you want me to? Um, I can. I, I liked it. Um, I wish that they would have included Kate's voice mm-hmm. in it though. Um, in the story, we see so much of what's going on to everybody, but Kate and she is such an integral part of this whole story. Mm-hmm. Why Anna does all she does for the good and the bad is for Kate. And when you don't hear her voice, um, but I did like it. I did like the um, 
I liked seeing the son, Jesse. I loved seeing the dad because so many stories with young girls, you don't have a strong male figure yes. in there. So to have the dad's yes. voice was, I really liked having the dad in it. So I, mean, I, I think, like, I've read, this is one of three Jodie Picoult books I've read, and she is the master of weaving voices together to create this story. Every single one of them I've read. Um, I think we've talked about this before, Molly, we talked about this in Fangirl, the the untrusting worthy narrator. Untrustworthy like, narrator. Yeah. We some, actually have a comment about that when we the next one. This one has very great example of that. Anna is not a trustworthy narrator. Nope. So I think they do a really great job of like weaving these stories together. And I totally agree with you. The dad point of view is wonderful. I did not like Jesse's point of view. I feel like she did not do a good job writing a teen boy. And maybe that's because I'm one of four and I'm the only girl and I have boys. And so like, I feel like I maybe know boys brain. That's a scary thought, but um, I didn't like Jesse's point of view. I understand why it was included. Like, I feel like he was broken in, in a way that I imagine you would be in his experience, but I just didn't like the way that I didn't like the voice, the way she wrote it. Um, so I'm going to actually defend uh, the author's, choice not to include Katie till the end. Yes. Okay, so um, I'm gonna, I do this all the time. As an author, I know, it sounds ridiculous when I don't have a published book. Anyway, as a writer, we make selective choices. I think writing Katie last was important. Mm-hmm. I think showing how she looks back on this, showing how Katie interprets this whole thing after post-mortem, I think was important for the storyline. And I also feel like um, talking about Katie as if she's not there, as a sick person, is like the popular girl constantly being talked about at school. We all think we know what's going on. We all have an opinion but we don't really know what's going on. And I think that was her, the author's whole purpose yeah. was to make you be like, but what does Katie think? What does Katie think? You're always going to be wondering about her POV. Does that I, make sense? I, I think there's, I think the reason she was left out was because this was the one time that the story wasn't about her. Right. Yeah, right. And it's true. It wasn't. I mean, it was about Anna, which actually, um, which I least, think, Ahead, her, lawyer, her lawyer does a really good job of that during the trial where he keeps saying, no, 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 we already know Aunt Kate's history. Kate's, I'm talking right. about Anna's history. Right, and, because we're and, always talking about Kate, right? Right. But I feel like um, I can see that, like, that, I, by the way, Mean Girls gotta bring it in because all i could think of when you talk about the popular girls like her hair is full of secrets and i was like oh that's a really awful thing to say about kate shiny she doesn't have she hair, doesn't have hair. <laughs> oh. Oh. More than hilarious yeah, this episode is probably going to be one of our least funny <laughs> as a chaotic neutral i'm finding it hilarious so oh um, so question number two you actually just brought it up Anna is our main character and and our main narrator. She is 13 and a teenager. And they can have a range of emotions, right? Mm-hmm. So does this make her an untrusting narrator? She tells us the very first chapter not to trust the thing she says. Yeah, I forgot she said that. So. I mean, she's 13. Katie, you have a 13-year-old, right? Yeah. You can't trust kids. them. 
Fuck them kids. <laughs> uh, my kid's the exception, though. Like, my 13-year-old is a rock and has oh, been yeah. a rock since she came out of the womb. She has a it's very, amazing. very old soul. You have to so. say that because she listens to the podcast, too. She's going to be the one that's going to have, like, all of it on lockdown when I'm senile. Like, she's yeah. going to be like, yeah. we got this. It's fine. So, yeah. Um, she is very reliable in and steadfast too. So to see a 13 year old who is not, that's a different perspective than the 13 year old that I see in my house. So, yeah, well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I can trust my oldest. I know he's eight, but he doesn't understand lying. So there's one of the benefits to autism. He doesn't get it. So (laughs) truth for days. Um, Piper, my Piper, she's 12. Um, I get this untrusting narrator thing, mm-hmm. but only because of who she is as a human, right? Everything is very literal for Piper. Yeah. But she runs her life with her emotions. That is how she runs her life. Well, yeah. Because she, she's a tween and mm-hmm. the hormones are here, then they're here, then they're here, then they're here. She is, that is, she is Anna in some senses because she will be an untrusting narrator. She's not going to always tell the truth. Let's not lie. <laughs> well, there's a book. I cannot remember the exact title of this book, but it's like, uh, of course, your teenager's crazy or something like that. Like, I'm not kidding. It's something around those lines. But basically, they studied the brain scans of, like, teenagers and the mm-hmm. brain scans of schizophrenic adults. Yeah. And, like, they were the same. Like, they are the same. Their brains are, like, so miswired and just all over the place and so like yeah teenagers are bananas and as a teacher of teenagers i can say they are bananas but 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 i think i think anna isn't being trustworthy because she's keeping a secret for her sister and her relationship with kate is the strongest bond in this relationship or in this book. It's not the mother and daughter. I don't care what anybody says. It's, it's Kate and Anna 100%. Um, and this is interesting. I'm sorry to, to get off of your questions, Molly, but I actually have a question. Um, so this was the second time that you and I had read this book, but it was the first time that Katie had read this book. So I feel like when I was taking notes on it, I was like, Oh yeah, but I know that this is going to happen later. So Katie, how was it reading it for the first time? Like, oh, good question. Going back, the the writing is so good. Like, mm-hmm. she, I mean, she does a great job. Um, a lot of conflict that I had from this was my healthcare background. Mm-hmm. Just because we can doesn't mean that we should. Like, I just right. kept hearing that in my head, and like, and then thinking of those things and knowing not just what Kate went through, but what Anna went through, mm-hmm. like no, mm-hmm. knowing what these procedures entails, I was mad a lot of the book. And then, I mean, understandably so. Yeah. And then to be I a mean, mother of daughters and to look at both of my daughters and think, what would I do? I, mm-hmm. I don't think right. I would have made these choices like at see, all. The, so. See, the first time I read this book, I wasn't a parent. The second Same. time, second time reading this as a parent, I'm, I have notes about it. But let me tell you what, this mother is my mortal enemy now. I know it's a fictional character, but her and I, if I ever see her in the streets, if I ever see I'll this admit. woman in the mm-hmm. streets, yep, we're going to yep. have words. Mm-hmm. So, Same. so I have... 
I feel like I have more sympathy for her now that I am. Because a you're a better human being than me. <laughs> it's the it's the lawful good in me. But I feel like I have more discovery. We talked about this in Discovery. There's a reason you and I have bonded for so long. It's because you balance me out. <laughs> Somebody because- has to hold me back, or I it's- will swing. <laughs> It's because, as we talked about in our first episode, we're long-lost cousins. And then two episodes ago, you did ask me to be your lesbian lover, so. <laughs> oh, Kenny hasn't even seen the episode yet. This is so yeah. amazing. You haven't seen Disco- listen to Discovery yet. This is going to be so fun for you. Um, so I have a little bit more sympathy for her now that I am a mom. And after I finished the first chapter where Sarah speaks, that's the mom, mm-hmm. and she's talking about Kate's diagnosis and that 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 scene ends with her and Brian in bed together and she says I'm not gonna let her die I'm already crying I get up I walk into the next room where my husband was actually editing our podcast and I was like how am I gonna get through this episode I'm already (laughs) crying and like I feel like I have more sympathy for her now because like I cannot imagine I cannot lord never imagine having to deal with that no but no, I also I cannot imagine being in her shoes. But I also look at Sam and I'm like, he would do anything for James, like literally do anything for James, but, but I you wouldn't would ask him force, to do them. But you would never force him to do that. And that is the difference between you and Sarah. Yeah. Sarah is literally saying she doesn't even ask this child. She yeah. just says, Do you want to help your sister? And never fucking explains it. Right. Yeah. The audacity of that woman assuming what that child wants and needs. The audacity. Yeah. I, like, made a point here let me see if i can find it i like folded the corner down um oh don't do that no i know i'm sorry no no i know (laughs) my brain wants to cry a little (laughs) they're um crying what are you doing with your life (laughs) they're um kate and sarah and um anna are all in the hospital and dr chance comes in and talks it's when they first talk about the organ donation and they're trying and they're in a word search or um, a crossword puzzle and they're trying yeah. to figure out four word four letter word for vessel yes and she says anna i murmur my mother turns away a four little four letter word for a vessel i say and i walk out of kate's room i like <laughs> like i was like that's when i was texting yes, you guys girl. i'm putting it down like that's what you see that child is a second (laughs) yeah i was pissed i was like that's what you see that child is is a vessel that you just keep pulling and pulling and pulling from that's all she is to you she's she's not you know the line that she gives her in the beginning that we loved you so much more i'm gonna call bullshit because Mm -hmm. you took her cord blood and when the i want to jump into this later because i have a whole note about what happens after she has the baby Yes. Yes. Um, okay, yes. I want to talk about it. I actually have a note but, about it. But but on what Katie was saying there, like when she's in the nail salon or hair salon or whatever with two other pregnant women, she didn't even have a name for her because nope. she she literally says, "I have only thought of this baby in terms of what she could do for Kate." Yeah, she was a fucking donor. In that woman's mind, that child was a donor. She was not emotionally attached to her. I don't think she was ever emotionally attached to Anna. But ever. Conversely, I don't think Brian saw her that way. No, because Brian's a decent human being. (laughs) No, because he names her Andromeda. And if you know, like, 
Greek mythology and who Andromeda is. She's mm-hmm. this warrior. She's the savior. But Andromeda was so strong, and that's why he gave her that name. Mm-hmm. Sarah could give two shits about what her name was. She just mm-hmm. wanted her to pull from to save Kate. But right. the, Brian was way more invested in it. So, and I um, think, and I think there's like there's something to be said about cord blood donation. Like I know when we were having right. James, they asked us if we wanted to like you know, freeze the cord or is that, is that what it is? They freeze the whole cord or they freeze, freeze the blood. I don't know. They, they do the, the blood thing. out and freeze it. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's a thing. And there is a cord blood bank donation, donation. which we did with both girls is, which is, which is really cool. But if that didn't work, I wouldn't want to give up on my child who is still sick, but I also would not want to put, have nurses hold my five-year-old down and forcibly remove. First and foremost, not telling her what's going on. Not telling her what's going on. Okay. Kids are very literal at a very young age. mm -hmm. And if, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to pull from Grace. Okay. Oh God. He's going to hate this. No, 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 no. I'm going to use George O'Malley as an example. I'm not going to use like actual metaphorical things. There is an episode (laughs) of Grace where George O'Malley, they have this kid that has a heart problem and the parents can't keep this kid in the hospital bed. And he goes and pulls an old fire alarm. And O'Malley's the only person that can talk to this kid. And he's like, the kid was a plain guy, right? He goes, he just needs to see how things work. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. let's not lie. That's kids. Mm-hmm. If you are honest and direct with them and tell the truth, mm-hmm. they're going to be more on board and they're not going to fight you. Instead, what she did was say, you're going to help your sister. Yeah. Right. It's, a, it's a half truth. Mm-hmm. It's a motherfucking mm-hmm. half truth. It's a guilt trip. And, and and what sibling wouldn't want to help their sibling? I mean, like, I mean, I, I would help any of my brothers. But when I'm five, well, I'm the oldest, so I wouldn't be helping an older sibling. But when I'm five, like, I want to know, you know what's us, happening. Maybe you have one floating around like I did. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Molly. Molly, we're going to have to start another podcast that's like childhood trauma with Molly and April. <laughs> Anyway, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, is what we're trying to say here is the more honest you are with children, mm-hmm. the easier they're going to be able to handle. Yeah. So all of this actually is perfect lead in to my next point I made. Anna straight up says we set a place at the dinner table for death. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that hits home, right? Like she is literally setting the pace for this book. She is telling you exactly what to expect Mm -hmm. in the first chapter. Right. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was pertinent. How do you guys feel about that? Like it's kind of morbid for a 13 year old, right. To say something like that. I mean, she's had a morbid life. I think when you think about like what her paradigm is, is Mm -hmm. that's all she's ever known. Oh, that's sickness. a good word, paradigm. Right. Um, I One of my very close friends and a lot of the reason why I work in oncology actually found her cancer when she was breastfeeding her son. Mm-hmm. So his entire life, that's all he's known is his mm-hmm. mom on chemo, his mom sick. So that's just his lens. That's just mm-hmm. what he sees. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's Anna's lens. She, you know, when you hear all these statistics about APL and curates and all, you know, that was just normal conversation in their household. So that's Mm -hmm. just all she saw. And you do set a table, you know, a place at the table for them because you know it's going to come. So, um, 
as a professional sick person. Um, my illness has became a very big part of my children's lives. Mm-hmm. And I don't do it on purpose. I don't try to make it a part of their lives. It hurts my heart when I have to have my 12-year-old help me off off the couch because my back won't move because it's completely locked up. Um, When my 10-year-old has to help make dinner because I can't bend that day. Making, being the person that makes everybody's life change because of one thing. One thing you can't even control is... Devastating. I, I, I feel like April. You can speak to this. You know me pretty well. I feel like I handle it well. I feel like I put on a good front when it comes to my illness. I don't make it my whole life, but I feel like at times it controls everything. Even if I don't want it to. Even when I'm like, I'm good. Look at me. I'm happy. Right. So it's just um. I lost my point, I think. But the point I'm making is is just there is no, like, setting the dinner table for death. There is no way around it, right? Yeah. It's a there, great metaphor. It's a great yeah. metaphor. There's no way around it sometimes. And I think um, Campbell mentions her, Anna's attorney Campbell mentions that when he first meets her, well, first of all, when she's suing for emancipation of his, her body, he thinks that she wants to have an abortion right. um, because or get what, birth control or right, right. so but when she starts rattling off the statistics of like how many times she's had procedures done he acknowledges that she's more knowledgeable than some of the uh, experts medical experts he has right, right so for her to say that they set a place at the dinner table for death it's a great metaphor um that whole anna is a vessel great metaphor um i think that she's obviously had to grow up faster and sooner because of what she's experienced with her sister. Um, it also, her sister's older than her. We know that, but her sister is not just a couple years older than her. Um, she's 16 and Anna's 13. So we've got, we've got three years, but those three years are astronomical. A 16 year old and a 13 year old are really not that similar. And, Add to it the fact that Kate has been sick since she was two. And like, Kate's, that's 14 years of sickness. And Kate's been sheltered, right? Sharon. Anna is her only person, right? I mean, she's got Jesse, she's got her parents, but Kate's her person. And mm-hmm. Anna's her person. So, of yeah. course, Anna's going to mature. She's out in the world. She's doing the things. She's got hockey. She's got school. While Kate has only Anna. Well, and I feel like... Anna has the opposite issue that Jesse has. So Anna doesn't tell you brought up hockey. She doesn't tell her parents that she's playing hockey because that's why burden them with this other thing. She doesn't well, even like, tell them that she needs equipment. We're on the opposite side where Kate keeps everything in or Anna keeps everything inside in order to not bother them. Jesse acts out because right. he just wants them to notice, notice him. It. Please, please acknowledge that I exist because I wasn't good enough to be the donor for my sister. Let's not lie, though. Part of the reason Anna hides this is if they heard she was doing a contact sport, they would have ripped that kid out of that. Heaven forbid that little donor baby fuck her up her freaking arm. Well, I can't remember if this is from the movie or the book, but Katie, can you confirm that if someone is a kidney donor, would she even be able to play sports like that? 
moving forward? Pants, nope. Yeah, if there's a potential because your kidneys aren't really protected. So if you take a puck to the kidney and jack up your kidney, you can't give it to your sister. So yeah. She but wouldn't after, be able to drink. But would she be able to play like after or would you be worried nope. that if nope. you get hurt again, she wouldn't have a kidney yeah. at all? She'd be fragile yeah. the rest yeah. of her life, right? No yeah. drinking, yeah. no like and if she had kidney failure, she was like some even kidney yeah. donors have to go on special diets, right? Yeah, so they have to basically act a lot like a kidney a dialysis patient um, afterward just to protect that one kidney. The the one kidney will compensate to a point, um, mm-hmm. but it's just like anything that if you're used to running on two and then you take away one, the other one's going to work harder to a point. That's not traumatic at all for a 13-year-old. Right, mm-hmm. and yeah. they make it, Sarah makes it sound like this is a big deal. Of a deal. She's, she makes the comment about how people give their kidney to strangers all the time. It's like, it's like when you don't eat blood to your sister. No, it's not the same at all. Sorry. It's, okay. it's major surgery. And it, from, okay, I, I could be wrong because this is Grey's Anatomy speaking, not medical. So <laughs> we are talking about this. Grey's major surgeons. <laughs> right. Chief of medicine. So um, isn't it harder on the body of the person giving the kidney? Then the like the actual surgery, like they have to tear them open, basically, yeah. right? Yes. Well, anymore they can do a lot of it robotics with a oh. only about a three to four inch Fancy. incision. Um, but previously, and in the time of this book, it would have been major surgery, so major, mm-hmm. major, and and on a on a child too. So yeah. you know, pediatric a growing body no less. A growing body, no less. Yeah, that's what you have to factor into all of this. Is thirteen is the height of puberty for females, so. Lots of physical development, lots, yeah. of, lots of bone development, lots of things that you need optimal health for. Right. And if you're taking out a pretty important organ, it changes things. So and, let me ask this. Oh, sorry. Um, let me ask this. Could, in this situation, if Anna had donated, being she was still growing and maturing, could her body like have major issues because of puberty and like not having that second kidney? Yeah, you can run into, you know, malnutritional states, worsening of underlying issues that hadn't been presented because she because was a fully pain. functional. Yeah, so you know, it it could exacerbate everything. You don't know, and the hormonal shift. It doesn't say in here if Anna has her period or whatever, but like that changes a lot of things. It does know? mention she asked her dad about keeping tampons. Oh yeah, she does. She puts tampons at the firehouse. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Which that's a whole other story, but um, <laughs> which I know you have a lot of feelings about too. Because we're gonna get to it, we're gonna get to it we promise. Yeah. Because your husband is my husband's uh, a firefighter. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Anytime is, you do it, you, you know, and anytime you anesthetize anybody, child, yeah. adult, geriatrics, whatever, anytime someone's under anesthesia, it can cause issues. So this child's already been under anesthesia for many times marrow donations. Like how many times are you going to anesthetize this child Mm -hmm. that, that adds up, you get cumulative effects. So now question that is kind of related to this, but just out of curiosity, Kate mentions that like they don't take out the other kidney. Do they really leave both kidneys? So she would have three kidneys. Yeah. It's just easier just to kind of 
kind of reroute the blood flow then to take it out and and do it yeah so it's pretty so cool when you see like so autopsy screw you your sister gets three you get one yeah <laughs> there are people walking around with three kidneys yeah but like none of them yes. works right like only one of them works out of the three who knows yeah it's pretty cool to see on ct scans you're like is that what is that oh that's what <laughs> Another kidney? Yeah. Smudge on the x-ray? <laughs> is that the only organ donation that they do that <laughs> with? Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, so pancreatic, weird. they can just replace it. Um, lungs yeah, come I, need, I think we need to give April in. a minute. Yeah. I can't. While, I April, can't. while April takes a minute, I'm going to jump into the next question. There's a reason I'm not in medicine. This is not okay with me. I can't. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Okay, so um, I'm going to jump into Campbell now. When we meet Campbell, he is constantly, throughout this book, telling everyone different reasons he has Judge. Mm -hmm. Now, we eventually learn why he has Judge. His Um, dog. His dog. I'm sorry. Yes. He has a service dog. The the dog's name is Judge. We eventually learn why he has Judge. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there is a sense of shame with having Judge in the reason he lies about it? I, I think that he thinks there's a sense of shame. But also, it's nobody's damn business why he has a service dog. But also, this book was written in 2004, where I think most people that were using service dogs were people that were visually impaired. Right. Um, right. Whereas now, I mean, I have a very good friend. He's actually one of Tom's best friends. So I guess he's my very good friend by proxy. But he has a service dog because he has PTSD. Um, He has one of the uh, canines for warriors. Is that what it is? Yes, I think so. Uh, And uh, and I... Wolf for warriors or whatever they call the... the the I think it's canines for warriors. So, like, I'm familiar with somebody that has a service dog for something that isn't visual impairment. Um, and I think that's definitely more common today, but it's nobody's damn business why he has a service dog. I think, um, my favorite line Campbell gives is when they go, you don't look blind. Oh no, he's blind. Like Campbell's like explaining the dog is blind. That's the reason. (laughs) Molly, we made it eight episodes without getting me to snort. Damn it. I mean, I mean, we made it pretty far without me making Firefly references, so of course you gotta snore. Gosh. What do you think, Katie? How, wh- what do you think about Campbell and his, like, whole situation? So I think, um, and I can't remember who said it about he's not in control in his body right. when that happens. So this is his ability to control and like April said, it's situation that makes sense. But yeah, he's, you know, attorneys, the most that I've interacted with are pretty type A personalities, like things done a certain way, like to be in control. So mm-hmm. to have this physical illness that you can't control, you know, even with anti-epileptics, you can, you can still seize, you know, mm-hmm. and so knowing even that that could meds, come at right. any time, like that would just, that would just jack you up. And if you yeah. were such a control freak, Yeah. Yeah, so my mom actually has a seizure disorder, um, and Lord, I don't have any idea what it's called that she has, because she's not epileptic. Her seizures are something else, but um, they intensified after she had a car accident that resulted in a TBI. So what happened to Campbell is that he was in a car accident and basically has a 
traumatic brain injury that has caused seizures, which my mom already had seizures. She had a seizure while driving, which caused her accident. So now she has worse seizures. But um, like the way that they describe his seizure, um, like when he's, because he obviously has this massive seizure in the courtroom, which he didn't want anyone to know that he would lose control of his body like that. Because you're right, Katie, that doesn't look good for a lawyer. Like you have to be on all the time. Um, but they talk about uh, he needs a change of clothes. And I'm like, yeah, that's very familiar with that. Not remembering what happened. Very familiar with that. Um, did not like how they handled the seizing scene because that's not how you do first aid. <laughs> and for our listeners, I literally kept texting Katie and Molly and I'm like, are you supposed to give somebody something to bite down on? Because I thought that's not what you did. As, as like a former military member, I was like, that's not what I was taught. <laughs> no, you keep the airway Yeah, When they vomit, they don't puke and suck it into their lungs. Yeah. Yes. Turn them on their side. Clear the space so they don't hurt themselves while they're seizing and let them seize. Yeah. Oh, that I think that honest. Okay. So sidetrack story, fun times with Molly always. So I think this is where my ADHD and anxiety come together. Um, In elementary school, I was put next to a girl who had a seizure disorder. ADHD girl. I was literally told just to put something under her head, and put her on her side. I had ADHD. Every time this girl flinched, I would jump up. Every time. And I got in so much trouble for the first quarter of this that school year because I was so hyper aware of what was going on. I wasn't paying attention to class. You told an ADHD kid to watch this girl. So of course my grades are falling. <laughs> like I can't believe they asked a student to do that. They asked all. us all to. Like we were in like yeah. desk rows and everybody that was in the like it got so bad for her. I remember that they ended up having to pull her out of school and she ended up having a surgery around our ninth grade year and she just I mm-hmm. she's still alive today, but like I don't think her quality of life is amazing. Because of it, it, it just yeah. keeps getting worse and worse, which really you know hurts my needs? heart. You know what she needs? Grey's Anatomy. She, <laughs> Derek yeah. Shepard. She needs, she needs cannabis. Yes. I know that Katie is a big supporter of that, and I'm a big supporter of that as well. Um, big fan. Yes. It will, it will help with seizures. Yep. And also anxiety. I feel like maybe I should consider it for my anxiety. But that's and ADHD and inflammation. <laughs> but I'm in Texas, so I get to keep being forced narcotics. It's legal in Virginia now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, moving on to our next topic. I actually watched a video with, um, I'm going to freaking say her name wrong, Jody Picolot. Is Picole. that how you Picole. It's, it's Picole. Picole. You don't pronounce the T. It's French. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know French. I just have heard <laughs> interviews with her. So, Anyways, Jodi Picole, I watched an interview with her, and the interview says, I write about things that keep me up at night. Mm-hmm. So this actually leads into my next one. This book covers several big topics, designer babies, emancipation, healthcare system, and cancer. Do you think this was an easy task for her to take on and mesh together in one book? And after that interview and her quote saying that she writes about things that keep her up at night, what is y'all's opinion? 
Okay, I want to go first because I feel like Katie has a lot of feelings about this because of the medical side of things. But um, I I want to compare this quickly to John Green taking on uh, can- cancer with teenagers in the Fault My Fault in Our Stars, which. As I've said before, John Green is my favorite author. I love him very much. Um, maybe someday he'll listen to this podcast and we'll be friends. That's the dream. Um, but when he wrote The Fault in Our Stars, he had a friend, Esther. Actually, this week was with, that we're filming this was Esther Day, which is a big day in Nerd Friteria because they celebrate Esther, who died of lung cancer. Um, and what he wrote, he took plenty of liberties with. Obviously, he looked at the medical side of things in terms of like, he actually has a friend who's a doctor and he talked to Esther's family and Esther, but um, he took liberties because he wrote the things that he wanted to say. I think Jody Picole wrote things that she thought was medically accurate, but are not medically accurate. <laughs> That's all right. Your face says it all, hon. It says it all. Your it's turn, not like, Your turn. It's not like horribly inaccurate, but it's just very... Um, like one-sided like you you don't see all that happens to Anna which is a huge component of that like mm-hmm. you know they was a, one of Sarah's chapters she talks about giving them growth stimulation shots mm-hmm. that hurts like hell that makes patients bones ache like we don't you know none of that's talked about you know the chemo regimen that she talks about um, ATRA we've used for a long time. Arsenic therapy we've used for a long time. These were not new and novel therapies in, mm-hmm. in 2014. So she could have just Googled it is what you're saying and just put what she Googled into yeah. the book. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and Google you know, wasn't even that good in 2004. <laughs> Does it even exist? Hang on. Keep going. I'm going to Google Google. Google came out in 1998. But it's, I know this you know, because you, I, used it to, I used it the other day to blow the girls' minds that I told them I was older than Google. <laughs> as, as, okay, so as an author that over-researches, as mm-hmm. somebody that, as a writer, likes to have all the information, to the point where I go down a rabbit hole, I find this frustrating. As somebody in the field, does it, does it get under your skin when people get the information wrong and it's sometimes simple things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not you don't just even watch the, medical shows. Yeah, no, I can't. Uh, I can't anymore because it's okay. We'll watch it for you, babe. Television <laughs> and drama, and then there's like actual life. Like, right. you know, things happen, but there's just some things that just don't happen, and mm-hmm. it's fiction. And I get it, and I try to be like, okay, it's it's a book, but at the same time, I'm like, that's so wrong. Like, I do, never I do in the history of ever would a child be allowed to go on an EMS run. Like, <laughs> right. No. Never. Absolutely not. Is that your like, biggest pet peeve no. of the book? The EMS run? No. I mean, it's up there. It's like top, top three. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. I do that with um, military shows. That last ship. Do you guys remember yeah. last ship? I, I watched... Watch Matt and I watched half an episode, and he turned it off, and he goes, nope. <laughs> and I was like, we, we couldn't sit through it as two prior service members. It's like, it is so inaccurate that the guy that likes explosions won't even watch the explosion show. <laughs> like, uh, Teacher shows are usually, bo- I think Boston Public is like the most on point with all the teacher shows that mm-hmm. I, uh, in my career experience. But... Yeah. Um, 
I don't know why every freaking teacher show needs to have a teacher sleeping with a student. Like that doesn't happen as often as, okay. I'm not going to say it doesn't ever happen because I definitely worked at a school that three people in the same year got fired for it, but it doesn't happen as often as, as shows. We need to circle back. Was this in the news? Did we like, no, it didn't make the news, but I taught in Hillsborough County, which is Tampa area, Florida. And Yes, your answer, Florida. <laughs> yes, that Florida district, man. Florida man. That district Florida has man. made made the news for that before, but that year, I I don't know how it didn't. Um, but yes, three in one year, three male teachers. One was the girls' soccer coach. Lovely. Oh, he pantsed a girl on the field during a practice. Was it the girl he was sleeping with? Actually, no. Okay, that's just creepy then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gross. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, I did this, this runoff was my fault. I, I apologize. So, um, the main focus of this book is cancer. But she doesn't directly talk about this, but cancer causes not just financial, but... It causes a massive trauma on family. Financial, mm-hmm. emotional, like... Can you give us a decent download of this, Katie? Like, what you've seen, is it compared to what's going on in the book? Is it worse? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's comparable. So, there have been studies published that the trauma that, like, the mental trauma that a person is diagnosed with when they hear you have cancer, their stress levels are the highest as if somebody dies, like they have to go through those processes. So if you have this person who is going through all these things, these treatments, these meds, and they're already got a shaky foundation in their support people, it will, it will implode. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you have, you know, another person, if your, your support person has health issues too, you know, we see cancer in the elderly is devastating because mm. their support person can't care for them. Or if they're the caregiver right. for that other person and now they're having to care for themselves, that's huge. Yeah. The financial impact of cancer care, especially in the United States, is atrocious. It is one of its financial toxicities. Like, it's it's horrible. Yeah. So They give an example in the book where the insurance denies a claim. Yeah. Yep. To try something else that the doctor has very clearly say said wouldn't work, and then the insurance would cover it. But by that time, there's a chance that Kate could be dead. Yep. Mm-hmm. So about between five and seven times a week, I have to contact insurance companies and advocate wow. for CT scans, treatment regimens, medication changes, full doses of medications, um, changing regimens completely because the patient shows the early signs of progression where the insurance company is saying, no, you need to try it for a couple more months, where in a couple more months, it's, they're going to be full of cancer and we're going to be shit out of luck. So that's a very, very truth. It happens to me. I've been told, I've been denied, I've done, I I was denied when we first started my infusions for my RA because of how far it's progressed in the short time I've had it. They told me, my insurance, my husband's insurance told us I had to try three different injectables first. 
the three injectables they told us I had to try, I had already done two of them. And the three that they wanted me to do were the same thing. So my doctor then had to petition for it. And by the time they approved it, I had been off meds for almost two months. And I was in bed because I couldn't move because of a massive flare because I was off medications. Right. Yep. And it's just, I can't imagine fighting a ticking time bomb like cancer. If I'm struggling this much with an autoimmune disease, I can't imagine the struggle and the battle with cancer, something that has an expiration date, which is devastating, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think one thing that I get super frustrated with is a lot of times we're not talking to oncologists. We're talking to a sports med guy who is going down a list and saying, oh, it doesn't meet this checkbox. So I'm going to click deny when I'm like, this is somebody's life. This is somebody's life. They didn't hurt their knee, man. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Their football career, probably going to be on hold from their raging cancer, but, you know, (laughs) here we are. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Okay, so um, I personally have a lot of issues with Sarah. A lot. We've talked about this via text. So... Do you guys think she's a good mother? And do you think her actions are justified? No and no. Um, (laughs) When when she leaves Anna and the newborn baby not even hours old that that pissed me off so much. Yeah, I was like, are you kidding me? And then Okay, but but on the other side of that, she had a newborn, and then her daughter was going to have a medical procedure. So yeah, and her husband, daughter, her healthy daughter. Okay, okay, okay. And then when they went and got, uh, they did the bone marrow extract of yeah of Anna, and Anna was in extreme pain, Mm -hmm. and Brian goes down to Sarah. Anna is asking for you. She needs you. And she's like, but I'm with Kate. Like, this is a solid explanation. And and Brian's like, your other daughter needs you. She doesn't want me. She doesn't want the nurses. She wants you. She wants her mom. And she was going to have traded. And she wasn't willing to. Mm -hmm. She was literally ignoring the child in pain over the child who was sleeping. I think what it boils down to is the with Sarah, I'm not sure she would have ever had another kid had this doctor not said, no, you know, nope. future children nope. could be donors. Yep. Yeah. Um, whereas I think Brian, he would have just kept having babies because to me... Brian has a big heart. To me, the other part of this that I really like is we get to see a man who is more motherly. I know that's not the word that I want to use, but we Paternal? tend to think... Yes, there we go. We, we, th- we tend I to... I know a word! Yay me! <laughs> It's my proudest moment for you, Molly. Um, like, I, I feel like we tend to think of moms as, like, the the caregivers and things like that. And in our house, it's not really like that. My husband is a stay-at-home dad, whereas I'm like, uh, yeah, you can give the kids a bath, and I'm going to go read a book. And uh, I won't lie. I, <laughs> I'm a warm person to my kids, but my husband is their comfort parent. Yeah. I mean, and- it's... I, I feel like when they're sick, they want me. Um, and Sam, proud moment for me. Sam told Tom yesterday, 
I love you, Daddy, but I love Mommy more, which shouldn't make me happy, but frick it does. <laughs> I'm, I'm the girl's problem solver. Mm-hmm. They know if it's an air quote emergency. Let's not lie. Children have a lot of emergencies, mm-hmm. right? Even when they're not emergencies. But when it's an air quote emergency, I'm the problem solver. I'm going to have an answer. I'm going to fix the situation. But when their emotions are in check, they know very well I'm going to be like, is this really necessary? Are we overreacting? While daddy's going to be like, come here. Let me give you a hug. And I'm okay with that. I, I think that there's a balance in most relationships like that for parents at times. You you have to have a parent who's the good, good at making sense of things. And you also have to have the parent who's good at making the nonsense. Like it's about balance. Like in our house, Tom is both the disciplinarian and the one that's like handling the the crap. Whereas I'm the one that. (laughs) <laughs> where I, that's where I'm the one that handles all the huggle, hugs and snuggles, huggles, and um, new word, boom. And also, I'm also the one that keeps our schedule. So somehow we, you know, it's a good balance. But I actually just thought of something because Katie brought up the way that um, the, uh, the attorneys that she's known that have been like, you have to be have your things together. I think it's worth noting that Sarah was an attorney before coming a stay at home mom. Right. I do think that that shapes uh, her personality. And I think, um, like, I feel like she sees this is the problem and this is the solution. And it's not people to her, which is a problem because she's their mom. But it's not people to her. It's I'm going to find the solution. I'm going to make it better. It doesn't matter what happens. I have to win the case. What's the um, what's the quote that uh, Kate says to her, though? You can't fix it, mom. Yes. She says, yeah. I've got it in my notes. Uh, um, where'd it go? Um, you can't fix it every time, mom. How come I know that and you don't? Yep. Preach, girl. If your 16-year-old can call you on your bullshit, mm-hmm. maybe you should take a look in the mirror. Yeah. 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 But at, I, I have to just say, I wouldn't be willing to give up either. Not at the expense of my other kid. Not at the expense of my other kid. But I don't... I, I wouldn't want to stop fighting for my kid either. No, so there's I a don't... difference between fighting for your kid and knowing when enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Like you can be the one that raises 15 kinds of hell and you can be that mama bear and you can do that. But at no point in any time do we hear Sarah ask Kate, are you done? Are you okay? Yeah. yeah. Right. Do and, you want to keep doing and, this? And clearly yeah. Kate's afraid to tell her. Yeah, because she she, wants to kill can, she, yeah. she tries to kill herself and yeah. she convinces Anna to well, she doesn't convince Anna to go to trial. What yeah. she does is try to kill herself. And Anna's like, this is the only way I can make mm-hmm. them stop. Right. And they're not yeah. going to stop because they're not going to listen to me or Kate. Um, yeah. And I don't genuinely feel that. Sarah's behavior and the fact that she always just pulls from Anna, pulls from Anna, pulls, she wouldn't give two shits what Kate had to say. It mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't Kate. It was Kate's illness. Right. And that was the problem that she couldn't fix and she couldn't control. So right. it Which, wasn't about her daughter. It was about her daughter's illness. Which right. she isn't even like, Kate's not even a person anymore to Sarah, right? Mm-hmm. It's Kate's right. illness. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and I feel like if we followed this book, into Kate's adulthood, I think we're gonna see we would see a detachment of Sarah from Kate. Oh, I don't sure. think I don't think Sarah knows how to be a mom to Kate 
healthy Kate. I think she only knows how to be, you know what I mean? And well, and the other two kids she has are both healthy and she doesn't mom either one of them. Right. Because she's detached from that situation. Right. So on that note, do you guys think Brian's a good parent? I think he needs to stand up to his wife more. I think he needs to grow but a set. Tom, when you're listening to this, you better not stand up to me. Just do what I say. And so no, in our marriage, <laughs> we have the card. So we have the husband card. We have the wife card. Mm-hmm. We have the mom card. We have the dad card. Mm-hmm. You have to declare that you're pulling that card yeah. before you pull that card. Steven has pulled it one time. In our almost 20 marriage. Just the husband card. Like he's never pulled the dad card. And I feel like if Brian would have said, I'm pulling the dad card, mm-hmm. maybe she would have stopped and actually listened. And yeah. realized like these are his kids too. Yeah. And well, they're important to him too. So I, I like their relationship. Like I feel like they are, they love each other. Very um, much so. And I don't like the way that the movie portrays their relationship, but... Um, I, I, I think they have a good relationship, but I don't think he knows, he knows how to tell her. I mean, he finally does. He does tell her that he believes Anna's right, that they should stop, but he doesn't know how to say no. And I bet that's been their whole life. I think illness, he doesn't know how to say no. Yeah. He does say no to her with the arsenic. Was that the treatment? He doesn't want to do that. He's like, no, we should take her home. Let her die there. Um, which it ends up working so i mean i guess do you really want to be the person that that said i don't think we should do this and then your kid survives it i don't know but um i don't know i i mean i jokingly say that tom shouldn't challenge me but i think that's one of the best things about our marriage is that we do challenge each other when we don't agree um and we have very different personalities so i feel like if we were dealing with some trauma which you know whatever that may be I think we would both have our own point of view and we'd have to work together to come up with a plan. And I don't think that Sarah and Brian do that. It's Sarah's plan and Brian needs to get on board. Like I would really like to have seen that conversation. (laughs) I would really like to see that conversation where they actually talked about doing IVF to make Anna, because this is probably not something Brian had ever thought about doing IVF. They have two children naturally. Um, we have no indication that they had any Healthy. issues. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They probably didn't. She yeah. was just like, this is how we're going to do it because we need to save Kate. And that's that. But here's your cup. I, Go fill it with sperm. I, okay. I'm in that sense. I'm Sarah. I, I run the ship, but that's, and Matthew, I know you're going to watch this. You are an indecisive human being. And the reason you married me is because I make slice decisive decisions that make things run smoothly. Now, does it come off as a bully if you're on the outside? Absolutely. Yeah, but, but nobody else is in your marriage. Like, it right. doesn't matter what other people have to say about it because they're not in your marriage. Right. But I do what's best for the family 100 percent. do i take his opinion into effect yes but does it take matthew sometimes we need a split decision split second decision Mm -hmm. and i know my husband well enough we've been together 15 years i know my husband well enough to know what he's gonna eventually come to so why not let me just make this decision right here in this moment and he'll eventually get on board yeah 
It makes me a monster, I know. <laughs> I don't make decisions very easily. I I mean, I can, but I feel like having Tom to bounce ideas off of is what helps me. Right. Um, but I, I, I would, okay, so if we're asking the question, is Brian a good parent? I think you could make an argument that he is a, both good and bad. He's standing right. up for Anna. He removes her from the house so that she can have some time to, like, do her thing. Um, he does tell Sarah he thinks Anna's right. Um, he tries to withdraw treatment from Kate when it's very clear that like her body does not want to do this anymore. She does not want to do this anymore. And he also, um, when it, when it's found out that Jesse's committing arson, he doesn't turn him in. And instead he gives him what he really needs, which is just someone to love him and and acknowledge him and acknowledge that he's worthy. Um, but counterpoint, he goes along with making Anna in order to save Kate. He goes along with the treatments that put uh, Anna's life at risk or, or at least put her body in pain. Um, he, I mean, he doesn't turn in his kid who's an arsonist. Like I, you can make an argument on both sides of that. Like your kid's an arsonist and you're a firefighter. I, you can make both That's sides. Of interest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Y'all hear that? What? Uh, okay, never mind. It was a thud upstairs. Piper fell out of her bed. I'm certain of it. Sorry. Moving on. My dogs are like snorting like crazy. I can't believe you guys can't hear them. They're like um, over so, here. So I super that's hope that's not coming through. So yeah. um, before we talk about Kate, I want to talk about the secondary story in this. Campbell and Ugh. Julia. <gasps> Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> Can I finish my story <laughs> don't don't talk to our guests like that Be not. Sorry. Uh, sorry uh do you think it is relevant or necessary to the storyline it is lazy writing it is Agreed. unnecessary i feel like she was like you know what the story is missing a love story and so she's like you know what we could have just given we just could have made julia a advocate for mm-hmm. for for Anna and been done with it. And you know, that point of view was important. I feel like, and I think Campbell's relationship with Anna was important, but did they need to be in a a physical relationship? Did they need to know each other from the past? Absolutely not. I I, think she was just struggling to figure out how to explain Campbell's illness. And they're like, you know what? We're going to bring Julia into this shit show. I think you can make an argument for the connection um, being an ethical issue because this story does right. a lot with ethics. Okay. Um, which I have a question for Katie, but I'll finish my statement first. Of course. It, it, is an, it is an ethical issue. They sleep together and she is the advocate for his client. There's right. absolutely, there's absolutely no way if you were assigned this case and you had a prior relationship with this attorney, there's absolutely no reason you should take it. Immediately, Agreed. you need to disclose. I have a, I have a personal relationship in the past with this person and we, I cannot, I cannot accept this case. And there's no judge in the world that's going to make you do it because they're going to see this could cause a mistrial and this would be an ethical issue in my courtroom and I don't want to deal with that. So no, there's no reason for them to have that. And it's already a murky case. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Letting a 13 year old decide what they do with their own life. Yeah. Okay. But, but you have a question for Katie. 
It's a medical ethics question, so it's not really related to this. Do you want to answer what you all think about their relationship first, and I can save my question? Um, sh- save? Katie, how do you feel about this relationship? I thought it was dumb. I actually flipped, th- like, you know when you do that read and try to find the, the quick part? Yeah. yeah. That was, like, the whole boat scene. I was like, eh, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I, I like it. A sex scene I was not necessary in this book, for sure. No, not at all. Nope. I liked the relationship that Julia had with her twin, though, mm-hmm. because yes. that's that's giving her perspective for Anna and Kate. Like, yes. how what would she do to her sister? I did like that relationship, but the the Campbell and Julia high school, be- I don't care. Yeah, and because they're twins, would she have been a genetic match? Because they're twins, not necessarily. If they oh, were really? identical ones, if the egg would have. Well, they it did say they're identical because one mm-hmm. had pink yeah. hair, so yeah, yeah, they would have the same alleles, so they would be matches. Yeah. So, so I feel like so say, I feel like say that again. Same what alleles? What the frack is so, that? It's when you um, so there's six alleles that you have to have to be identical genetic. Um, okay. Donors, yeah. So it's just you. It's just looking in your blood to see kind of what you are. So that's why Jesse wasn't an exact allele uh, match for Anna or for Kate and, bi- and Kate. Like, biography. It's just like the way the line up. It's just just the line the way the genes line up. Yeah. <laughs> Biology was like my worst science. Like when we had to do like the square and like yep, you should have brown yep. eyes. Uh, yep. I have a blue-eyed child, and my husband has brown eyes. I also have a blonde child, and neither, neither of us, well, I guess yep. I sort of am a blonde, but not, I, what the heck? I don't get it. Yep. We've covered this. You have no eyebrows. It makes you partially blonde. <laughs> you just leave my eyebrows. Your eyebrows alone. look really good today, no. too. <laughs> look, this is how I prep for podcasts. Like, 45 minutes before we have to log in, I'm like, I better go put some makeup on, because my eyes got to be on point. I got to make Word. the eye bucket. Word. <laughs> because you're going to see the bags. Yeah, well, that's true, too. I definitely hide those. Um, so, Ethics question, because they talk about the F, the medical ethics board, um, which has met to to discuss Kate's case, but not yep. Anna's. Correct. Um, but Anna, I mean, she is a patient. As a donor, Correct. she would be a patient. So yep. they mention that they're kind of making this up as they go because this is a new science. But in today's world, if you have a child who's a donor, would they also get an ethics committee? A constant donor. Let's 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 rephrase it to say constant donor. Because yeah. so, so the only time ethics are actually pulled in is if somebody consults them. Mm-hmm. So if the parents don't find anything wrong with it, if all of the nursing staff finds that everything's going kosher, if all the physicians, the therapists, the nutritionists, the psychologists, if all those people are saying, no, we're okay, ethics doesn't get involved. It takes one person of so any discipline. It couldn't any be discipline. enough? And it could have been, yeah, the patient can say, you know, hey, I don't, you know, definitely, but it just takes one thing for her. So this is how we get the shit show like Gypsy Rose. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. So good. Yeah. Yes. But that's what I'm saying though. Like this Munchausen by by proxy bullshit. This is how we get that kind of thing. I mean, okay. Yeah. Okay, Okay. But. It, I just don't understand if nurses had to hold her down 
to take the blood out of her. Why they wouldn't challenge the ethics of it. Like, because with- part of it is, is she a normal five-year-old? Okay. Cause the five-year-old probably would squirm about that. That's a normal reaction for a five-year-old. Like you don't get to draw blood on a five-year-old without having them scream and holler and move around. Okay, but, but she had to have it done coax Livia into it. Yeah. She had to have it done three or four times. Like I feel like at that point you want to be like, maybe we need to talk about this. Because right, clearly yeah. the parents are not working in the best interest of both of their kids. And and you hope that you do have a nurse or a fleeb or a, a anybody. Is that a, a, a phlebotomist? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We're okay. both like, wait, wait, gosh. <laughs> yeah. I you, know, say- you have one person who says, I'm not okay with this and speaks mm-hmm. up, but it's the Swiss, the Swiss cheese effect where sometimes the holes just things line just- up. Mm-hmm. Now, happen, so. Jesse mentions that he is donating platelets. Would he still be yeah. a, a match to do that? So platelets, you don't have to be type specific. So if oh. you have um, A blood or uh, B blood or O blood, it doesn't um, it doesn't factor into it. So okay. the way I've they actually, um, I've actually never blood. given blood, which I know is well, yeah. I'm not allowed to. Yeah, it yeah. was not advised that I do that because yeah. of my weird sugar whatever. I don't actually have diabetes, but whatever. Um, yeah. Pre-diabetic or whatever they call it. Well, I am that now, but like when I was younger, my sugar would uh-huh. like crash, probably because of my PCOS, it would crash. Um, yeah. And so my doctor just told me not to, and then I've just never researched if I should do it or not. That's not a time for now. That's time for Katie and I to text. Should I donate blood? Um, <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> I really hate needles a lot. They ask needles too. And like, that's the thing too. Girl, like, you have tattoos. Okay. Yeah, they it's, don't hurt. It's, it's a completely <laughs> different needle. That's a completely different needle. So you the needle that they use to donate blood, blood is like <laughs> six times as big as that. No, that's a totally different needle. Totally. Different I mean, needle. after being pregnant with Sam, where I had to give myself 10 shots in the belly every day, you'd think I would be like comfortable with needles. But those needles were tiny. Like, yeah. I I, um, I will always opt out of the self-injections. Anytime they go, this is a self-injectable. Is there another option? Is always my first, like, because <laughs> I ain't stabbing myself with a needle. Hard pass. Um, yeah. So, okay, moving on. The growth of Campbell and Anna's relationship. How do you think this shapes the storyline? It doesn't. You don't think so? You don't think Campbell grows or Anna grows at all with their relationship? Oh, I thought you said Julia. I'm sorry. I I went. I'm. I'm. Can you repeat your question? <laughs> We're talking about Molly stabbing herself, and then she just shifted right into things. Okay, the growth of Campbell and Anna's relationship. How do you think it shapes the storyline? Oh yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it changes like the storyline. Moving on. <laughs> I think it shaped both of them. I think through Anna seeing Campbell's weaknesses mm-hmm. in the trial, like she came to her own. You know what I mean? Like I think she realizes, like, hey, he's a person too. And mm-hmm. and I think when he like is interrogating the witnesses and stuff, I feel like she's like, oh my god, like he's the man like he got this. And I think like she finally realizes that he does have her back and right. 
you know, yeah, yeah, he's doing this pro bono and he says in the beginning, oh, it's going to be like this PR and yeah, I'm going to do all this stuff pro bono. But then, you know, it changes and, he's, you know, when he says I, there's a kidney donor, I'm her medical power of attorney. Yeah. I think that's like the clinch to it that like he did honestly have her back in all this. Yeah. To the very he end. didn't know all the other two. Like he just knew Anna and he was yeah. the only one that just knew Anna and just... Anna Anna doesn't have that in her life where it's just her there is and and I think that is why Campbell and her relationship so important in the storyline there is one person for once in her life that is just looking out after her and let's not lie that has never happened right I do think and maybe this is just like me being weird, but I do think it was odd that the judge said that Campbell should be uh, her power of attorney for her medical things because uh, I think, like, how is she going to pay him? Like, is he going to continue I, doing pro bono work so for the rest of her life? Like, I think <laughs> the reason the judge did this, now this is just me we'll call it headcanon because I don't know what else to call it. Head, my headcanon thought process is the judge sees that Campbell is a kinder spirit to Anna. Mm-hmm. He sees that he's doing this. He's not doing press. Let's not lie. Campbell's mm-hmm. not doing an ass load of press. He's not promoting this. He's not trying to make a buck off of it by doing interviews. He is literally focused on Anna. And he doesn't even force Anna to get on the stand till he absolutely freaking has to. The yeah. judge knows that Campbell is going to be looking out for Anna. I and just I- think... I just think that it probably would have made more sense for it to be a proxy, someone like Julia, even though I don't think Julia could have made the decision. But Julia works for the state, right? Campbell is an yes, independent but, person. No, but there are plenty of proxies. I mean, the whole Britney Spears thing, that's what's right. happening. Like, you have to be certified with the state to be someone's right. proxy like that. So, um, so to me, that made more sense. But I think, like, the relationship-wise, that was, like, smart writing, like, Okay, now they're connected in that way. And then, as we've said from the beginning, we were going to get into spoilers, and Katie started talking about this, but um, they get into a car accident. They win the trial, right? They win the right. trial, and they I would not put my child in a car with somebody that just had a seizure. Like, that feels like a bad idea. But um, Word, paramedic, right. fighter, hello. Right. Yeah. Right, right. I don't think that he was at fault. It, they keep talking about the rain and there was clearly a car accident and an intersection and it was probably related to the weather, but whatever. Uh, but Anna dies. Right. And this is what the movie changes this. And oh, that's, infuri- that's infuriating to me yeah. because I felt I'm like not that prepared was, for that mentally. Right. Right. That was such a smart and unexpected ending. And that's one of the things I love about Jodi Picoult. She does that in every one of her books. There's always a twist that I'm like, oh, that was really good. But and you're um, not expecting it, right? You're no, not expecting no. Deanna to die. And and Campbell making the decision to still donate Anna's kidney. She's now brain dead. And so because that's we, what Anna would do. Let's not I, lie. I actually think Anna wanted the right to make the decision herself. But and I she think she still wanted to. I think they were going to the hospital to do it anyway. Like, I think she was going there to donate the kidney to her sister. Because she loves her big sister more than life itself. Absolutely. And she didn't want her sister to die. She didn't want to not be the donor. She just wanted to be the person that could make the decision and make the decision her sister wanted her to make because her parents were not going to do that. Right. So, um, I actually have a note about the car accident. Do you think Jodi Pickle 
No tea. Piccolo. No, Piccolo. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, the so author. Wrong. <laughs> Do you think it is karmic retribution she is putting on this family for treating Anna so shitty her whole short life? Do you like, you know what? I'm going to play God here. You guys want to treat her like a bag of freaking blood. You want to treat her like a donor. Look now. Look at the chaos you've created. You've I done mean, this to yourself. I mean, in the end, that's all she was. She was a vessel. She was a donor. But right. I, I feel like if I feel like Sarah has to live with that. Good. Fuck that like, bitch. Sarah has to live yeah, with I mean, that. Karma, karma plays you hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but can we talk about the fact that you literally cannot declare somebody brain dead that quick? I thought Big, so. Doesn't it take twenty four hours? Red medical flag. Yeah. Also, that's, also that don't happen that quick. Yeah. Also, they turn the machine off, which you can't do because no, then she's dying. You can't. And you her. have to take her into literally. The- and and isn't there like a gazillion pages they have to sign to do any of this? Yeah. Like there's so oh, much yeah. work, right? And isn't so isn't it like twenty four hours or something? It can be like up to forty eight hours. Like it's a right, process. Because they have to do neuro tests, right? Yes, and CT yeah. scans and all kinds of things. And then to actually like prepare the body for donation. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing: if he's going to donate a kidney to his sister, to her sister, she's also going to donate her lungs to somebody else, her pancreas. Mm-hmm. Like it, you don't right. just go in for one organ when you're an organ donor. Do it at all at once, right? They, yeah. yeah, so they take all the different parts out and then take got, the heart okay. out. So this is me calling Capola Grace. They have to call Unos, right? And they got to see who's on the list and the whole shit show, right? But the hospital doesn't do it. Organ procurement agencies do that. So in like in the state of Ohio, in every state, there's organ procurement organizations. So there are people who work like Unos is just a nationwide database. Okay. So you have teams that come to hospitals. So they have to call somebody. It's not somebody that works in the hospital? No. Uh-uh. No. Even major medical, like even at OSU, Riverside Grant, which are the big level one hospitals in Columbus, like you still call in this outside agency to do an organ procurement. Right. So it's not just, oh, you can flip the switch and we're going to take your kidney. So, and so do at, you have like and, a, sorry. And they actually turn off like her ventilator yeah. and stuff like Brian yeah. does that. Well, then like her organs are going to start dying. Like they don't, yeah. they wouldn't do that. Like yeah. you have to wait. And I love <laughs> my paramedic husband. He is great. The man is brilliant. He don't know how to turn off a vent. Like it's, not just, it, like, it's so, not just flipping a switch. That's a safeguard. Like so, you, it's a multi-step process to turn off a vent, so you can't just unplug it. Like you mean it's just not a button? No. And I was like, oh, I'm calling bullshit on this part. Yeah. So, so my question is, I guess, how? Like, obviously, they have to move them to ICU, right? And like, it's a whole process. How, mm-hmm. What kind of window is the? The people that run the donation program, what kind of window do they have to show up at the hospital to start their version of the process? So like usually if- within about two to three hours after brain death has... So so my experience with it... Um, like, well, please the- run us through it. Yeah. Well, you, you kind of know, like, from the point of injury, like, if you have somebody come in with a really bad TBI, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh... Things are not looking good. But then, you you know, right. you have this time where you think, are we getting there? So then you, 
when you first have that suspicion, you notify the organ procurement and they'll like walk you through, are these things being done? And then, you know, once brain death is declared, then you, the hospital staff does not get consent for this. The outside agency comes in because you don't want any conflict of interest from a surgeon, from a neurosurgeon, from a transplant surgeon. It's, it's conflict of interest if these people who are going to use these organs are asking mm-hmm. for them. So you have this yeah. outside agency come in. And then it depends on patients, right? Exactly. Yep. And if you have, you know, transplant surgeons work on both sides. So you have them, they take the organs and they put the organs back in. So you have, you know, they have to be able to have that where they're not thinking, oh, I want to use this kidney on Sam that I've been trying to get a kidney for a couple weeks ago. That's why UNOS is in place because it's organ sharing. So um, a lot of the organs are stable and you can actually, you can actually FedEx a kidney. Um, It doesn't have to be carried. Um, So 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 no helos transporting it. (laughs) No, okay, so people are walking around with heart kidneys. and lungs only. Sex a kidney. Wait, yeah. so what about heart in a box? What about yeah, no, those box? have to be carried. Yeah, yeah. There's well, no, 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 like, yeah. So, like in Grays, okay, so in Grays, they have like the, they take the heart out and they put it in this thing and it pumps the heart and they like yeah. put it on its Mary. Is that like a real thing? So, it doesn't have to be continually vascularized, but anytime a patient is on the organ donation list, Mm -hmm. they have to live within two hours of the donation of the, the hospital. So if you get that call, we have a heart for you. You have to be there in two hours because that's pretty much, you know, they know by the time you get there, we get you in surgery, we get you prepped, we get your bad organ out, then it'll be time to go and put your new organ in. So there's rules for recipients too. FedEx can get an organ to somebody in two hours, or is that just just the heart? No, that's in two hours. Just the heart. Yeah, just the heart. Okay, so people are walking around with three kidneys, and FedEx is (laughs) is transporting kidneys. Okay. Yeah. No, Doc. Leave a comment. (laughs) I I can't. I can't. Yeah. Okay. Um, So at the end of the book. We finally get Katie's POV, but it's 2010. We've moved, right. we've fast forwarded into the future. Why do you think the author felt this was important to end the book this way? Or do you I think the author? I didn't okay. under, like, it was nice, but, and I don't know if it's just because I, I don't know the logistics of writing and all the. That's okay. You save lives. (laughs) Yeah. I I was like, okay, cool. But like, why didn't we hear about her 12 chapters ago? Why didn't we get her take on her relationship with Taylor? Like, why do we care after the fact? I think it was, I think it was more about um, the surprise of it. Like now that we know that Anna dies and that Kate actually lived like this, procedure of her getting a kidney actually did in fact save her life even though all the doctors were saying like we're past that like she's not going to survive um but it also gives you that Anna was an unreliable narrator now we know why she was keeping that secret right and why um and we also get to see that it, that in the end Anna did save her sister like she did yeah. it also made me be like okay but 
I think the point of this book was that Anna was being really brave and speaking up for herself. And I actually, okay, I don't like that. I don't want somebody to die, but like, I don't really like that Kate lived because Anna fought so hard to give Kate what she wanted, which was to just let go. Die. Yeah. Right. And now she, she's fine. And it also makes Anna seem like she was really selfish and that she did it more for herself because it actually did end up saving her sister's lives as opposed, as opposed to the fact that all the doctors kept saying like, this isn't going to work anymore. She's, she's, you know, so what this they call, into- in Grey's Anatomy, they call it the circle of death. I don't really right. know. If that's so, okay. So this leads into the whole air quote medical miracle, right? They're mm-hmm. saying Kate is so near death that this kidney's not going to work. And then she gets a kidney and she like bounces back. How realistic is that Katie? Um, relatively really um yeah so you you know organ failure when you have multi-system organ failure that's where it's worse but usually the cure rates for apl are really high really really high and i kind of like flipped back through it because i couldn't tell like like after she got the arsenic then she was okay, right? Like, that's kind of the timeline that I wrote down. And then yeah. it started, she, she started having graft-versus-host disease, which that can lead to kidney failure. Graft-versus-host disease is not a reoccurrence of her cancer, though. So her what cancer is graft-versus-host for, for us that don't so know what all that is? Basically, your body is attacking the organ. Okay. Um, so her organ is blood. Yeah. So... And, and that's a, that's a complication too. Like if you've had graft versus host post stem cell, I think that negates you for a kidney transplant because you're at higher levels than for graft versus host of your new kidney. So mm-hmm. like if your body's already attacked one organ, it probably would attack the other. So I didn't have time to like delve that far into it, but I it, it doesn't make sense. Like your body already attacked this new organ that we gave you in the shape of blood why are we going to give you another organ so well, it, i mean i feel like her body was just tired at that point yeah. then too right yeah. i mean she'd been fighting cancer for 14 um, years 14 years, 14 years. Yeah. so I, I mean that would be enough for anybody's body right to just yeah give out. And i mean and shit. she beat cancer but she still dies because her body couldn't handle it yeah, anymore and- that happens a lot because these have such high cure rates. You bring out cannons to kill mosquitoes mm-hmm. because we can, because we can kill the mosquito because if you don't kill a mosquito, then you have a gajillion mosquitoes. So that's why right. we bring cannons to it. But the flip side of that is we are bringing cannons to kill mosquitoes and mm-hmm. it causes problems, you know, Donorubicin and Cetarabine are some of the hardest hitting chemos that we have across the board. When you have chemo is poison, chemo is poison, and you you know one of the hallmarks of cancer is that a cell can divide very fast. It doesn't understand it has to not divide that fast, and it doesn't understand that it has to die. Mm -hmm. So you have cells in your body that turn over and make very fast too. That's the, the chemo doesn't know, hey, that's a good cell, leave that alone, and go after the cancer cells. It takes down good and bad. So that's why... It just why, everything out, right? Yeah. So, you know, when you're giving these ass-kicking chemos to kill the cancer, you're killing the good stuff, too. So it's a wildfire. It is. It is. It's a controlled wildfire. Yep. Well, 
I know that I said um, that Sarah would have to live with Anna's death, but I also feel like because I don't like the way that she handled any of this, that there might be a little bit of Sarah that's like, well, I was right. Kate lived. Oh, for sure. For sure. I was right. We should have kept going. Um, told which you is the so. other reason. That's the other mm-hmm. reason I don't like it because you can't relish in the death of one of your daughters because you were right. No. Oh yeah. no. I hope that woman mourns that child forever. I wish a life of sadness on her and the way she treated Anna. I hope her heart is broken for the rest of her life. It ain't gonna and be. It makes hope, me a monster. Yeah. I know. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, and this is one of the reasons that I love you, Molly, because we talk about fictional people like they're real and we want them to be punished <laughs> for the bad things they do in their life. So to end up, let's talk about movie versus book. I have four points. I I have four points I want to cover. How do you feel about casting? How do you feel about the change of the ending? The change of the location? And the one that really got to me, the changing of the gender of the judge. I know it's little, but it pisses me off because I like continuity. So... (laughs) Yeah, but that's just because when you can get Joan Cusack, you get Joan you Cusack. You do. You get Joan Cusack. We'll work you in. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel we'll like make it happen. I feel like the point of having a male judge in this situation is he was heartbroken over his child dying and they're trying to show how hard male judges can have soft points, right? Putting a woman in that position, we're naturally soft people, right? You're not making that person softer with a I don't know that I would ever describe Joan Cusack as a soft person um 16 candles oh such a good movie okay she's so give you that that's not what she normally does though no okay so let's start with casting what do you guys think um, I, I love the girl that played Anna. I've loved her in everything. She was amazing in Little Miss Sunshine. Miss Sunshine. I, I love that. I love I'm gonna her. Put I Abigail Breslin. Yes, yes. I'm going to put the so link good. to the IMDB page for Sisters Keeper in the pod notes for everyone so they can know who we're talking about. On an interesting related note, I, I mean, she's perfect because at the time that this movie was filmed, you have to fit, pick a precocious, like, tween they made anna younger because abigail breslin actually was old enough yeah to be 13 so they think they made her 11 but then they aged her at the end like to being an adult real fast but uh interesting fact about this um because i like these things since i liked this book so much i followed the casting and um Oh my gosh, I just blinked on who was supposed to play them. Um, it was supposed to be... Um, oh, geez. Um, who plays Jane in, in, um, in the Twilight Saga? I don't know. Jane. Jane? In Twilight? Hang on, hang on. Stand by. I got it. I got, I'm pulling it up right now. Um, Who's Jane and Twilight? Oh, Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning. Okay. Oh, 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 yes. It was okay. actually yes. supposed to be Dakota Fanning was supposed to play Kate, and her little sister oh. was supposed to play. Oh, Anna. oh I love them. Yeah, and a really interesting combo. She didn't want to shave yeah. her head. Oh, rude. 
So they or wouldn't let her wear. They wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't let her wear a bald cap. They were requiring her to shave her head, and she didn't want to do it. So they didn't make Cameron Diaz shave her head. Okay, let me just say, Cameron Diaz was probably the worst choice ever for Sarah. She is for yeah. What, what in the world? Really? What? I think yeah. she played bitchy pretty well. You have somebody less maternal. Oh. No. He's married. Like, she puts the Sarah's stuff in her hair. Like, Sarah's no, not maternal. Yeah. Sarah's not a maternal no, parent. No, but she is. Well, no. she, is, she is to Kate. I mean, I don't to know. Kate's illness. Um, She's not who I would have picked at all. Um, I think Alec Baldwin makes a good lawyer, but he was older than Campbell. Yeah. In my in my head. Yeah. It was a good fit, I think. I feel like he would have been um a good Campbell if it were filmed like ten years earlier or something. Um, I think the actor that played Jesse was too young. Wasn't he supposed he was. to be older? Yeah. Well, he was supposed to be eighteen and in college and in the movie they change Kate to being the oldest child instead which of the middle child. Like, which mm-hmm. uh, fucking up the storyline bugs me. No, Bugs me to no really end. Annoying. It's really annoying. Um, changing of the ending. I mean, I get why they did it. They're giving the viewer the ending they're expecting with this whole system, right? But I think you miss the point of this book and all of her writing if you don't have the twist ending. I feel like they probably screen tested it and everybody was like, well, that's annoying. Why would they do that? That's not, that's, that's not how the God bless a book! But... I understand when you buy the rights to somebody's book, like you now like own that book, but I prefer adaptations, movie adaptations that the writer of the book is involved in the writing of the screenplay. And I promise you anything I ever write will always have my interpretation on it. I am too much of a stickler for ideals. They have to, I, (laughs) okay. So the one, okay. But also you need to promise me that I get to consult on casting. I mean, if you and I aren't having a, a margarita and talking about casting, it's not happening. Okay. <laughs> like, um, so another thing that bugged me, and then I want to hear what you all think. They changed the whole location. They yeah. went from this being on the East Coast, up in Providence, Rhode Island, yeah. to L.A. And I... I don't think I, it was L.A., but it was California. Was it L.A.? It was L.A. It okay. was L.A. Because, like, uh, Jesse's, like, on the Sunset Strip, like, where all the hookers are walking. And then they show, like, oh, Santa Monica Pier. I just Monica thought that was Pier. California. <laughs> and then they were showing, like, Santa Monica Pier. And I feel like it was an unnecessary storyline change. Yeah. Well, I think what made it interesting having it in Rhode Island was that um, it, it was definitely big news. I right. think putting this in a city like New York or L.A. is tempting because that's where all the high-profile cases are. But putting it in Little Providence, Rhode Island, where your parents made – she was the first designer baby in the state. Right, which was – which right, and, like, there was news about it, and they had, like mm-hmm. – like um interviews and all that jazz and it also made it possible for the whole julia and campbell thing because the state was so small but whatever but i think moving it to california um they did that and i don't know the specific laws of california i don't know that californians know the specific laws. next of time next but, week we have a legal expert on no, <laughs> but um 
they make a point in the movie to talk about Anna not being old enough to be medically emancipated. And I don't know if they made that decision because the movie came out, I want to say like 10 years after the book. So that might be why they were doing It'll it. Be, I'll, put it in, I'll put it in the notes. It'll yeah. be part of the IMDb page. Um, um, I, I think it was, it was like, like 2012, later. 2014, something like that, that the movie yeah. came out. The book came out in 2004. So right. 10 years like later. 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe they just thought people wouldn't be as taken aback by it by then because a lot had changed in 10 years. Also, Judge does not wear a service dog vest. Oh, my God. I almost said smock. (laughs) Teacher lingo. (laughs) No more green thing pockets on your smock. <laughs> okay. Wow. I've never called him anything oh, other than a service dog snot. in his mouth he's like walking around like, <laughs> I'll have it noted besties that I'm the one trying to write April in this never happens I'll have it noted besties that she has me filming way past my bedtime so I am loopy <laughs> anyway he's not wearing his service vest so technically smock we're it that, that's it we're done um to tie things up before we say goodnight, Katie, uh, give us your biggest pet peeves with this book when mm. it comes medically. Break us down. What do you yep. think? What she really got wrong? You, like you can say the firefighter. The firefighter. Um, <laughs> give children us are, children, are, children are not allowed to bunk at the firehouse. It's for staff only. Children are absolutely on the history of nowhere allowed to go on a call let alone in turnout gear even um, doogie those were my hauser? biggest i mean even doogie hauser there's <laughs> laws and then the brain death part she did do a pretty good job of um i did i did really like her explanation of apl um apl is a subset of a type of cancer. So how she described it is spot on. It, I mean, it was a very good description of like what the cells do. So I do have to give her credit for that. But the fire scene, the firehouse scenes, um, and the brain death scenes just. But you said so APL. Did you say that APL is something that is has a higher. Uh, very high cure rate. Okay, that's what I was looking for. I was gonna, I was gonna say higher mar- mortality rate. That's what she says in the book that it has a high mortality rate, but it's a it, high cure rate now. It has a high cure rate now. Yeah, when it first came out, because we didn't have ATRA and arsenic and all that, but now it's usually ATRA and stem cell transplants are usually used within like. So if they have a molecular relapse with after f- first line of treatment, then they're queued up for a stem cell. A lot of lines of, a lot of cancers, you have to go through multiple lines, but APL is one and you're queued for stem cell. So stem cell is a huge, huge component of that. So that's really interesting. 
Yeah, it has I a agree. very high cure rate. Yeah. But would it have a high cure rate back when she wrote the book? Probably not. And pediatrics too. So like a lot and of times what happens, different, right? Kid cancer is completely kid different. Difference. Yep. And the book was published in 2004, but Kate was diagnosed in the 90s. So that would even yeah. have been yep. further back. Yeah. So the thing with any of leukemias is it's this, this blood disorder. So a lot of times these patients will hemorrhage to death. Mm-hmm. Um, before they can get ahead of treatment. You know, you have internal bleeding, you have bleeding on the brain, things mm-hmm. like that, because you have platelet dysfunction. Um, they can't clot. So they, you know, that's what causes death more so much than the actual cancer. So. Wow. Yeah. Can't imagine. Yeah. And I sent you guys a link to. Um, yes. Well, the well, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Yeah. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, that's like one of the best societies for leukemia. And then Alex's Lemonade Stand, um, it's a big supporter for all children, uh, pediatric cancers. So. Which I'm going to be putting all these things in the notes and, along with Katie's bio. Katie, we have appreciated you being here. Thank you for being our first expert on. And I just want to say, I, let, I, I was fine with letting us go long because this was great because this is like my two worlds colliding of Katie and Molly <laughs> meeting. And they're so similar that like, I just feel like I've made, I've made new friends for them. <laughs> oh, Kate, Katie, you are so much smarter than me, babe. Oh, she's smarter than me too. <laughs> well, thanks, I think. No, it's great, babe. It is so great. We... Thank you for being on. I'm sure we'll probably have you on again when we have something more like this. Uh, besties, thanks for listening. Um, tell us what you thought of this episode in the comments. Don't forget to like and subscribe. All the things. Share, All the things. follow. All right. April, love you, babe. Wait, next Wait, week. Oh, shit. Next week, y'all, we start <gasps> Band Book Month. We're starting oh, Band Book Month a few days early, and we're going to be reading To Kill a Mockingbird, which is my absolute favorite book of all time, forever and ever. Love this book. Love it. It's perfect. And I don't care what Molly has to say. Um, <laughs> it's going to make for a really great episode, because April's just going to be like, nope, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Because I obviously, she's assuming instantly that I'm just negative, which, I mean, she's not wrong. Let's not lie, besties. I'm- I feel like I'm always geared up for battle when it comes to that book, so... Anyway, but that's what's coming up next week. And we will be doing banned books for the entire month of September. And then, and I'll host all of those. And then we'll move into spooky books for October where Molly will take over as host. Spooky season. (laughs) I had to buy Frankenstein and couldn't remember that it was a horror book. So (laughs) yay. (laughs) We will see you guys next time. Yes. Check you later. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much for being our first guest. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for joining us on Book Besties. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The views discussed here are those of Molly and April and not those of anyone else. Today's book was My Sister's Keeper by Jody Picole. Your book besties are Molly Biggs and April Watkins. Special thanks to our guest, Katie Alexander. Editing by Thomas Watkins and music is Sleep Sweetly by Prigida. Don't forget to follow Book Besties on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you would like to contact the Book Besties, please email us at bookbestiespod at gmail.com. 